Thanks for tuning in to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Amphine and Clavio. You're listening to the e-commerce ruminations of me, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all good, mate. I'm enjoying the snow, actually. I've had a nice snow fight with my kids today in the back garden, which is amazing. Working hard. Yeah, it's been nice to be fair. I've worked from home today as well, which is always a good trick. Excellent. And um, we got uh, another interesting guest. So I'm going to I'm going to set up the intros um, and then we'll let, um, let him explain a bit more about what he does. But first, thank you for tuning back in to our regular listeners. And if it's your first time on the podcast, we hope you enjoy it. If you subscribe, we send out episode alerts every week and we'd love a rating on YouTube, Spotify or Apple. Thank you very much. So our topic today is is understanding the true value proposition for headless commerce, and the guest is Studio Rotate. So, look, it's buzzword bingo, headless, composable. They're thrown around a lot in the industry, but amidst the noise, there are some interesting projects emerging demonstrating the value that flexible technology approaches can have to businesses if businesses properly understand the impact to go down through and have the right partners to guide them through the challenges of making the right architectural decision. So today we've got an expert on who's got stacks of real-world project experience we're going to cover the real value proposition for investment in headless. How does the challenge and experience of building on different headless platforms compare? What uh, what does good front-end tooling look like? And when headless isn't the right approach, which is equally as important. So welcome to the podcast, Jim Tadstall, who's the founder and CTO at Rotate. How are you, Jim? I'm very well, thank you. Also, enjoyed the snow today. Got to throw lots of snowballs in my daughter's faces, so that's always a win. Definitely a perk of working from home. But yes, thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to being grilled. Excellent. So you've got an interesting background as head of digital music industry for like Gut and Roadrunner Records. And I, I was noticing that Roadrunner Records artists include things, uh, bands like Slipknot, Slash and Corn. So you, you really specialise in like light classical music, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, a bit of a heavy metal fan. And uh, yeah, loved working there for many years. And uh yeah, looking after digital there. And um, yeah, actually, when I set my first agency, uh, we pretty much exclusively worked with for uh, artists at the beginning then. So yeah, loved it. Good fun. Fantastic. And now, so Rotate positions itself as a strategic design and tech partners for e-com brands. But you've got clearly got a focus around the headless piece. Do you want to just summarise to people, like, what, what is it you do? What, what are the key services you provide to people? Yeah, so we um, we try and be a bit of a holistic offering for for e-commerce and kind of like strategic partners. So uh, we very much believe in kind of composable commerce and the approaches on that, but mainly for the business value that it kind of brings to the table. In terms of our offering, uh, yeah, strategy kind of um, uh, test kind of well data driven kind of. Um, data informed kind of like development. So lots of research and development kind of like goes into stuff, lots of user testing, everything we build and deployed is split tested, you know, for both risk management and also, you know, validation of like stuff that we're doing is actually kind of works. I think that's really important in the e-commerce space. So yeah, we kind of try and be your, you know, e-commerce partner and uh, to the point where we can help you build up your own team and kind of move away. But Proud to say that we're very much, yeah, very much partners with with people we work with and uh, have been working with brands for, you know, some of them, well, actually one of them for uh, like nine years, but many of them for like over five, six years. So, um, yeah. Great. Um, well, I'll ask the first question. Um, so Rotate are pretty well known for being well, really early to the headless movement. As you were saying earlier, you were doing it before some of the platforms even really started allowing for it. Um, can you just talk us through what led you to go down this road initially? 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, for us, it always comes down to strong believer that actually, you know, uh, the tech solution is kind of should be driven by like the business goals. And I think, you know, with headless and like, you know, that kind of composable kind of outlook, that was definitely kind of uh, what kind of pushed us to there. Previous agency, we worked a lot with, you know, because uh, the advent of like mobile is how old I am, <laughs> the advent of like mobile kind of browsing stuff and and apps and stuff that actually API kind of pushed uh, experiences kind of made sense, right? You had multiple experiences, different places, API backed. So when we, you know, when I kind of set up Rotate, that was always in the kind of back of my mind anyway. But then we just came across, you know, many kind of challenges uh, working with SaaS platforms. Big believer in SaaS platforms, you know, the idea of reducing the surface area of what we have to do, you know, so we're focusing on the stuff that, you know, adds the most value, you know, and where, where we can make the biggest difference. But there were just too many restrictions. Uh, and it, in the early days, it was mainly around like the UX and the experience that we were trying to create for users. Um, you know, before, you know, before we started, we were talking about like Tracksmith as an example, you know, they're a very kind of content kind of rich, you know, uh, brand, amazing you know, brand from Boston, check them out, Tracksmith. And um, back then they were massively frustrated. They wanted to go to Shopify. They tried a few agencies, but they couldn't kind of curate the content they wanted to. And we ended up kind of building a kind of composable system, I guess, an early kind of like version of that many moons ago where, you know, we kind of created separate CMS. They could preview, drag and drop, all this kind of stuff. This was before I said storefront API or page builder in kind of uh, in Shopify. And it was just kind of pushing the content in. So it very much came from initially the need to kind of create a richer kind of more, you know, greater storytelling, you know, for those kind of, uh, for those kind of clients. Great. And um, I think there's always, there, or there is always a lot of um, discussion around where headless fits and doesn't fit. Um, what's your view on the kind of main value prop for headless for a mid-market brand? And how do you think this has changed over the last couple of years? Yeah, so I mean, I think initially that kind of drive, as I mentioned before, was around kind of like storytelling, the UX, you know, that kind of just kind of the curation of, of that kind of experience. I think as time's gone on, and you know, we as I said we've been doing it for a long time now. The benefits that we kind of see around composability in your kind of architecture, aside from just headless and you know, on its own, are pretty massive. So I think one really interesting stat is. We've been working with clients for, you know, you said six, seven, eight years. For all of them, we've only done one rebuild, you know, and that's the initial rebuild we did. We've never done a rebuild for any of them since. Um, and you look at someone like Chili's who we've been working for, like, you know, six years-ish, you know, and there's so many iterations, right? Every single part of the system has been changed, but there's no kind of big sweeping call. Let's rip it all up and start again. And I think that was always like a, a desire for us, right? The idea that you kind of go, well, why, if you were like a larger company, just because you're an SME, why should you kind of compromise on that stuff? If you're a bigger company with a large tech team, you wouldn't just rip it up and start again. You'd iterate and you'd iterate on those learnings as well. So the things that kind of like drive people now are, you know, long longevity, right? One rebuild, the idea that you kind of iterate and although you might have an initial larger like cost over the kind of like longer period, it kind of definitely kind of makes sense. Best in class tooling. So you have people who are like, oh, you know, on Shopify or you know whatever big commerce or whatever platform they're on and they'll be like okay so actually this isn't good enough right the dam solution you know or the CMS solution or whatever 
isn't what we need. We need content scheduling or whatever. So looking at best-in-class tooling, I think that's a big one. Another one is like building for the unknown. So in a composable system where you don't know where you're, I mean, who would have predicted the last few years, you know, and the kind of things that that's kind of thrown at us and businesses having to kind of move quite quickly. So the agility that that kind of composable architecture allows you to have, I mentioned Chili's, you know, within the space of under eight weeks, we completely moved e-commerce platform. Now, that was one developer as well in eight weeks, completely moving. And after that, they then rolled out in 30 territories as part of that. So that's another thing. Like, you wouldn't have been able to do that move. If you really had, you know, the next kind of point, I guess, is vendor lock-in. If you've got hard vendor lock-in, it's very hard to kind of go, okay, we're just going to change this one part because everything is so coupled together. Um, so, yeah, building for the unknown, reduced vendor lock-in is definitely one. Um and yeah, maintaining those learnings as you kind of like iterate. As we're seeing more now, as you control that, a big thing for us over the last few years has been things like split testing on the edge, which is quite hard, especially if you're using a SaaS platform, which um, again, it's like something that we think is you know pretty important to kind of you know make sure you're focusing on the right things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that um, I think that's going to be an interesting area. People doing more stuff on the edge over the next uh, over the next few years. Um, I have a sub question, and this is a slightly rogue one because it wasn't on the list that we gave you earlier. But you talked about Chili's, and you talked about them moving platform. Um, so I guess Chili's is yeah, a, a lot of people have referenced that site over the last few years. It's a bit ahead of its time, I would say, in terms of the like engaging kind of nature of the theme, and you know, it's also a really modern design generally um what made them slash you move to commerce layer yeah so this is yeah i mean this is a, a great example i guess um so thanks for asking the question <laughs> a great um a great kind of like a discussion point right because we'd already gone headless with them so and i think this talks to the evolution of like composability right that you kind of break it up and you make it more, you know, more of a composition, you know, more kind of like fragmented kind of parts as you kind of have those needs and those business kind of, you know, requirements. So they were already headless on Shopify um, at the point we went to Commerce Lair. And a few kind of um, things kind of like prompted us to kind of make the move. So one of them was actually after around like 7 million in turnover, the cost of Shopify gets pretty prohibitive and in, in, well not prohibitive but it, it gets quite punchy so there was a cost analysis of kind of going well if we look at like the market we you know speak to agent or braintree or you know or stripe directly what can we do in terms of rates and what does that kind of look like it turned out actually in their instance with uh, braintree and paypal because a lot went through paypal as well that actually the savings of moving off of shopify were pretty significant um like hundreds of thousands significant so that was one consideration. Another one was actually that as we'd evolved to being a headless, um, a headless, you know, completely headless store, actually the Shopify's kind of core um, APIs were pretty slow. Uh, they've actually gotten much better in the last few years, like in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of speed, like response times in terms of their APIs. But back then, you know, three, four years ago, they were pretty abysmal, you know, <laughs> um, in terms of their response times. And also actually the uptime wasn't great as well. Their reported uptime versus actual uptime, you know, from our monitoring tools, a little bit different. Again, I think their infrastructure has gotten much better in the last few years. Um, so there are a few drivers. One was actually like improved speed. One was actually completely custom checkout. Um, and uh, as I said, and then the cost saving exercise. So 
think we didn't think, which was a bit of a surprise, that actually, given that Shopify completely, you know, a big selling point of Shopify is that they completely, you know, they constantly iterate on their checkout, that we thought, oh, this is going to be pretty hard to kind of compete with. But actually, a surprising factor was that uh, when we kind of moved over, that we our checkout rate kind of abandonment like massively dropped, and we had a, you know a big win. When actually we thought the migration would be pretty much the same, slightly faster. We didn't change any of the UI UX or anything like that. We thought we'd, it would be pretty comparable in terms of performance. And then the wins would come later on when we'd be able to faster roll out internationally. Because again, that's another part of the piece, right? Back then, you know. Uh, 30 plus territories, which is what we pushed out six months after, uh, you know, within six months of, of moving into commerce layer, that was pretty tricky on Shopify back then. So these were the sorts of motivators that came along and said the savings um, from the payment gateway kind of more than paid for the development. And as I said, despite that, we still have massive uplift in terms of, uh, you know, conversion rates um, and, uh, you know, other kind of key metrics around the site. So, Yeah. I got a question around because um, we talked about you know, the the value proposition for headless. But before we start recording, we were also talking about the fact that you know you're not going to be building for everyone because there are some times when the use cases are right. So, like headless isn't in itself a need; it's a solution. But sometimes it feels like certain areas of the industry push headless as the ultimate solution to all e-commerce ailments, which we know it's not, um, and it's not always needed. And it and it does add some complexity and maintenance in other areas, and sometimes more than people expect. And they they don't realise. I, th- I think some businesses go into it not realising what they're biting off, and what the implications are. So I'd love to hear from all the experience from the projects that you've done and the ones where you decide not to. What are the scenarios in which you think a business should avoid going down a headless route? I would say, yeah, if you're if you're if you're kind of turning over less than one to two million, I'd say I'd kind of look at whether it kind of makes sense to go, uh, you know, to go fully headless. I also, you know, to your point, like headless is, uh, you know, a, 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 should be a solution to business problems, right? And not just the destination itself. I don't think headless should be a destination. I think, you know, what you're trying to solve should be the destination. And headless is just like a way of kind of helping, you know, you kind of get there. Like saying there's a lot of noise at the moment. And actually, when you think about things I talked about earlier, you know, like lack of, you know, reduced vendor lock-in and stuff like that. When you look at some of the rhetoric and kind of like talk around Hellas at the moment, even like with Shopify's kind of solution, you're not getting, you're still getting vendor lock in there, right? And so it's kind of like, well, what's the advantage that this is kind of giving? Like for me, the advantage is around creating a composable system that is kind of empathetic to the business needs. Now, Shopify and other, I keep mentioning Shopify, but any kind of like uh, e-commerce solution generally will try and cover you know, the majority of like use cases within a certain, you know, within what is kind of sensible, right? And if you fit into a lot of those things and there's no real kind of like business solution that you're solving by going headless, it probably isn't worth it. Like you're saying, there are additional development costs. Third-party integrations are generally kind of like have kind of, you know, more problematic. And obviously if you've got something like Shopify and the kind of rich ecosystem around it, there are many advantages to that. So it's very much kind of assessing the business needs the maturity of the business and whether they the investments they're going to see the return basically on on the investment um which is only going to ha- happen at a certain size anyway you know in terms of the micro optimizations that you can kind of make when you are fully composed yeah i i think it's good you pulled out the thing about the third party piece because one of the great advantages of the SaaS leading SaaS platforms like big commerce shopify etc is that app ecosystem and that speed so you get that agility 
but yeah, you're you're right that in, in some of those uh, aren't necessarily uh, designed to to work in smoothly in a like you know, a bespoke front end framework and having to think about the integration costs of setting those up. In addition, um, I think people underestimate that and think that if you go headless on these platforms, that everything is just going to work as it does. Yeah, I mean, another great one actually is like um, the things that you things that are often overlooked. Things like Shopify Analytics. So you, you know, you've got Shopify Analytics, which is you know really rich, great actually analytics suite, um, and it kind of is the case that you know you go headless. I mean, there is it's changed recently, but up until um, about six months ago. You couldn't get any of that headless data really kind of into, um, but you couldn't get it into Shopify Analytics. Now it's not kind of actively kind of advertised, but if you look, um, you know, in, in the hydrogen kind of like code base, um, there is kind of like uh, obviously events that are being fired and that's kind of getting built up so that that full suite of like, you know, analytics view within, you know, Shopify will be kind of there. But even if, even now it's not, you know, it's not fully there. So yeah, there's definitely caveats and trade offs. I would say business as a company has to be a certain level of maturity um, and there has to be that kind of like level of, I mean, we talk about optimizations actually. If like business we work with, the third party integration, when you do, you know, one click install through Shopify, quite often that's not very well optimized for, you know, in terms of front end performance. And when you kind of are hand coding it, obviously there are optimizations, but those optimizations might be completely lost if the business is only doing a certain turnover or, do you know what I mean? There are just certain. It just hasn't got the same value that it might have on a on a business of a, you know of a larger size. And for people who are who don't know the platforms as well, technically, like you've built sites on a number of platforms, and there's probably different reasons why you. I mean, we all, me and Paul know as well when you pick when you recommend a platform over another, there are reasons why you get to that decision. And there's always compromises because no platform's perfect. Um, but how have you found building like headless? solutions on top of Shopify versus like a a true API first solution like commerce or commerce tools are they fundamentally different from a a development challenge complexity point of view yeah I mean I'd say uh it's actually far easier to build a headless build on uh one of those modern you know modern but API first kind of platforms you know whether it's you know swell Centra, commerce lay you know commerce tools uh, it's far easier because the API is just it's just put together better, you know, it's way more considered because they know their audience, right? Um, I mean, in terms of in terms of the experience, you know, I think generally for most clients that we work with, starting on Shopify is kind of great. Then you go headless Shopify and eventually you reach the point where Shopify is probably, you know, not the right kind of solution, you know. Um, but yeah, in terms of working, uh, working from it, They've got different audiences, right? So commerce layer, commerce tools, the technical support is incredible. Like you're speaking to engineers, you don't, you're not going to get that with Shopify because they're dealing with a different audience, you know, and different, you know, different kind of, uh, they just got a different audience, right? Uh, I'd also say, as I kind of mentioned earlier, at a certain scale, it does kind of get more affordable, those, some of those uh, API first kind of platforms. Um, and the main thing for like, for us is that, um, when you kind of work with like an API first solution like Commerce Layer or Commerce Tools, there is, aren't any real limitations. There's nothing you can code, you can't code around, right? So, you know, I want completely bespoke kind of tax rules or, you know, completely bespoke kind of discount mechanics, whatever. 
some of this stuff, you know, you can, you know, kind of starts to come into Shopify, but within the kind of like remit of commerce tools and commerce layer, there's really nothing you can kind of, you, you can't do. Um, so yeah, I'd say they're the kind of some of the high level differences. So um, obviously we've just been talking about commerce tools and commerce tools is everywhere at the minute. Obviously they are doing a lot of marketing and yeah, they've won some really high profile deals. Um, you've worked with commerce tools and you've worked with a number of others. Um, what's it like working with commerce tools? You mentioned Centra um, a few, like a couple of minutes ago. And I think that's probably a good example of uh, maybe an API first platform that's maybe got slightly more kind of functionality within it. Whereas the feedback I've had on commerce tools is it's like truly best in class, but it is, you know, a core or like, yeah, you are really buying into like a set of best in class APIs. Like what's your experience with it? Yeah. I mean, I think on that scale of uh, API-first uh, platforms, um, you've got kind of someone like Swell at one end, then you've got Centra and Commerce Layer kind of in the middle, and then you've got Commerce Tools at the other end, right? Swell tries to give you as close to a Shopify-esque kind of experience where they kind of give you a lot out of the box. Um, for me, Centra and Commerce Layer have a really nice balance where they kind of go, you don't really want to do pay payment gateway integrations. Like, this is a solved problem not probably and if you want to you can kind of not have you can not use them and write your own obviously but they offer kind of like a better level of kind of convenience um and then at the other end is commerce tools where it's very kind of bare bones now it, it, interestingly i like um is it ben at kind of um at rafa was kind of like asking a similar sort of thing a few months ago right when he was kind of doing a, a you know vendor assessment and you know, I think it comes down to, um, you know, where do you want to spend your engineering time and what's kind of, you know, and what's going to be a kind of restriction around this kind of stuff. I wouldn't, they're all great platforms. <laughs> We're partners with all of them, so I've got to be careful. But I would say I wouldn't, I'd find it hard to recommend commerce tools unless you had quite a mature internal dev team. Um, the, the amount of engineering and the amount of overhead that you have to kind of look after is immensely powerful. It's incredibly robust and like scalable. Like that stuff is second to none. But the amount of engineering and and you know additional architecture you have to look after around that kind of stuff isn't uh, isn't small. Also, even things like their kind of merchant center, you know, which you know Commerce Layer, for instance, have their um, their order management system. Like if you look at Centra or you look at Commerce Layer, their kind of admin areas are pretty polished and quite very user you know very user friendly. For commerce tools, that's less of a thing because, yeah, and if you look at the merchant center, it does feel quite rough and ready, you know, in places. But that's because the expectation is actually that a lot of these, you know, brands are going to build their own kind of experience or, you know, just literally it's just going to go directly with like their PIMs and the ERPs or whatever, like to kind of build up this architecture. And actually, commerce tools doesn't really have a face. It just, you know, literally just as API endpoints kind of tie this stuff together. So for me, I would say most brands if they're kind of doing under you know like 100 million like for me that kind of middle space is the right kind of balance of like not over architecting stuff you know um and you know beyond that uh if you're kind of like very kind of like um you know if you're a much larger coming that then i think I, that's when i start to look at kind of commerce tools and if that was the kind of you know appropriate kind of solution um but yeah, but also in terms of their methodologies and their approach, like commerce layer and commerce tools, especially very, very different. Um, commerce tools kind of 
actually have some awareness of like merchandising. They're thinking about what does the product look like and, and all this kind of stuff. Whereas commerce layer is, I mean, uh, you know, Filippo would describe it as a, you know, kind of transactional, you know, commerce where they're literally just looking at individual SKUs, um, which as a model is super interesting because what we've seen is that over, you know, over the last kind of like nine years of Rotate that it's amazing because we're not rebuilding anything, how often companies want to change how they merchandise stuff, right? Oh, you know, by colorway or now, or no, we don't want to do this. And actually we're changing, you know, we don't want to have it gender specific and all this kind of stuff. And when you've kind of got very hard tie kind of product modeling, it can be quite disruptive versus kind of going, no, there isn't, right? Like this is the commerce platform. This is not where we're doing kind of merchandising and thinking and thinking like that. This is literally where we're kind of recording price, you know, weights, you know, inventory levels and things like this and uh, and handling those kind of transactions rather than the merchandising and how we're going to bundle this stuff together. So I would say commerce layer makes it quite hard to make by hand architectural decisions because it kind of breaks it down like that, which is really interesting. It actually is a bit of a different, you know, differential between commerce layer and saying everything else that's kind of like on the market. But yeah, for me, those kind of ones that bang in the middle, like commerce layer and uh, Centra, really good for like that kind of balance of convenience, um, speed to market and without kind of having that additional you know engineering overhead also you can kind of do anything uh, if you want to yeah that makes sense i think um i've worked with centra more than or looked at centra more than i have commerce layer but yeah I, both of those seem impressive um so next question again this is another rogue one that um wasn't on the original list but it feels like you'll be able to answer um you mentioned hydrogen earlier and you've been you know playing around with hydrogen i'm not sure how much you've kind of done with shopify more recently but what's your view on hydrogen like I, there are rumors that they're obviously rebuilding it at the moment but in terms of like shopify introducing that side of things and kind of enabling um headless a bit more within their kind of own environment like what's your view on yeah where that might go yeah uh, <laughs> uh i've got quite strong opinions on this um so for me the the whole point well one of the points of like having a composable architecture is that you don't want vendor lock-in you want the freedom you know like we had your chilies and we just want you know we want to move e-commerce platform we didn't want to be tied into an ecosystem because that reduces the agility that we need to be able to move with a business and the needs change, right? Like over time, they change, especially if you're going to be with a, you know, I said with with a, with a partner for years and years and years. So I do worry about hydrogen and oxygen, like uh, hydrogen, they've made some technical decisions, right? Things like Next, you know, kind of powering in that. And all of a sudden you kind of go, well, all of a sudden Headless is Sanity, you know, Next.js, you know, Shopify, you're not really in control like that for me gets away from the whole point of things being kind of composable and you kind of choosing the right kind of tools to the job i think also interestingly there's definitely a movement away from like spas you know like single page applications and things like next they do have a massive overhead like historically we've done you know predominantly like spas but when we talk about often when we talk about headless we're actually talking about spas like some of the headaches that we talk about like third-party integrations and stuff like that why is that so you know why is that so long it's because we're building these you know massive monolithic javascript apps and over the last kind of six months there's been a real kind of a pushback around the amount of javascript we're kind of shipping you know on the front end and when shopify kind of does a move like this where they're saying 
this is how you you know this is how we think you should kind of do um do um, headless kind of um e-commerce it just doesn't sit well also looking through the code base there's some pretty ropey code in there <laughs> but, um, but um but yeah i think the move the sentiment is good the move is good but and it, it you know it's only positive for like headless in general but um I think I would, uh, you know, give it a little bit of time to kind of mature um, before we definitely kind of like look at that stuff. But as I said, main things like vendor lock-in really, you know, really doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the hope is, uh, yeah, it just comes along uh, over time. But yeah, I think uh, that's a fair assessment. Um, on the, so going back to the questions that you were aware of, um, on the front end side, so I know uh, from looking at your sites, you've worked with a few different kind of headless CMSs and, you know, you've changed a few areas around kind of delivery and stuff. Do you have a, do you currently have a preferred set of tooling on the front end side of things? Uh, yeah, so our, um, that kind of tooling on the front end is kind of evolving for us quite a lot, uh, kind of related to the last question. So I think you know, what's been headless, at least for the last few years, has kind of tended to be like a, an SPA, right? Powered by, you know, React and Next or Vue and, and Nuxt. Um, and I think this kind of has led to a bit of a problem, which is these kind of monolithic, we talk about monolithic backends, where it's like, oh, you've got big vendor lock into a backend, but it's the same on the front end. You know, you kind of go, well, we built this monolithic front end and it, we're hard tied to React or we're hard tied to Next.js. And that's also not good in terms of like, you know, agility and kind of being quick to kind of like change. Um, and over time, we've seen that those, because they're, you know, these massive JavaScript apps, over time, once you're maintaining those for a number of years, they build up technical debt really quickly, far, you know, far faster than like a, a, a traditional kind of like multi-page kind of like app does. So I, what we're doing at the moment, what we've been doing over the last kind of few months is moving to like micro front ends or island architecture and having a migration path for all of our clients where we basically turn all those SPAs into multi-page apps and we decouple ourselves from any any single framework, right? Because we don't want to get to the point where, you know, we had it with Nuxt. Nuxt, we, you know, Nuxt 2, and this is maybe getting a bit too niche, but but when uh, the latest version of Vue came out like a couple of years ago um, and we went for Nuxt to upgrade, it took like two years to finish that upgrade to the framework and it only kind of got released like a month ago. And you realize how dangerous it is to kind of be tied to anything really like uh, too specific. So the idea with building something like a micro front end or island architecture is you kind of go, look, we can have these different islands of um, interactivity and it's not tied to any single one. Um, and so that's kind of where we're moving. We've seen it with quite a lot of brands where they've invested very heavily on, yeah, I said like Next.js. And there is a danger that it means it's much harder to move. And we, we're consulting at the moment with some, you know, very large brands, you know, 50 plus kind of like engineers who are kind of hitting these issues, these kind of uh, velocity issues um, with these kind of like monolithic, you know, SBA front end. So sorry, back to your question, Paul. So, <laughs> so in terms of... Um, in terms of that front end stack, yeah, we're moving towards, uh, you know, micro front ends. Uh, the other thing is we're looking at GTM and actually that kind of integration piece, because we're, again, we're seeing, you know, services like Zaraz, which, you know, like Cloudflare is kind of offering, which basically does like server side kind of uh, tracking and stuff rather than keeping it on the client side, you know, getting, you know, better kind of reporting in terms of tracking, but also reducing the weight on the front end. GTM has lots to kind of answer for in my mind in terms of like 
weighing down the front end experience and like the performance around that stuff. So yeah, in short, moving away from DTM, looking at services like Zaraz, which are great, and also moving from like spas and monolithic front ends to um, micro front ends and island architecture. I've got an, um, a question around the business operational impact of changing your, your architectural approach from going from like a standardized platform where you're using their themes and, and it's just doing it all for you or, you know, a monolithic, you know, one of the big older systems and going to a more modern headless setup where you have your commerce application, you might have CMS as the front end or you've got a custom front end because it is a change in the ways of working. Um, and you've touched on some of the technical considerations. I'd love to hear from your point of view. What do you think merchants, e-commerce teams need to to understand in how it will impact them on an ongoing basis once they move to a new way of working? Yeah, I mean, I think it should always be like a phased approach. I, I think it's really, I think it's really quite problematic when people kind of move from a, you know, monolithic architecture, which is, you know, or, or, or system which is doing loads of stuff for them. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is, they almost take for granted because it's, oh, this is what an e-commerce system does, you know, whether it's like your transactional emails or, you know, or like search or, you know, merchandising and page builders and analytics and all this kind of stuff. Um, and those all those kind of integrations, uh, you know, whether it's your ERP or, you know, or, or whatever. And I think quite often, especially now because headless composable commerce is in vogue, that they're kind of almost jumping on that bandwagon purely for, you know, purely for the hype, right? Of it's like, oh, it's the thing to do, right? But so I think the main thing is to kind of, whoever you're working with, to actually kind of do a full assessment of what you're kind of using, you know, and what that is going to look like in this new, you know, headless, you know, or composable world. And also that that should be like a staggered, you know, should be a staggered thing, right? So as I said, if a client comes to us and they're in Shopify, it's unlikely that I'm going to be like, well, let's just remove your e-commerce platform as well. It's like, well, no, let's not do that. Let's take, you know, let's have a kind of phased and kind of like staged approach. I think when we talk about things like uh, analytics is a big part of that, you know, and you might might have to move that to like a, a you know, a different analytics suite or BI kind of tool to kind of like get full visibility on that. Another one which you mentioned is like the plugin uh, infrastructure and kind of the velocity around some of that stuff. It is slower in some instances, but the code quality is better, the performance is better. But the idea of that kind of, you know, click and go just won't exist in the same way that it has before when you're in this kind of completely tied up and neat kind of ecosystem. Hopefully, if you're working with a good partner, the idea that's composable is that the first thing that they're kind of the agency, you know, is trying to work out is what is the right solution for you? You know, we've had it with, you know, merchants where you know, they, they work with like Brightpearl, for instance, and they're using an off-the-shelf kind of plugin. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, we're going to build our own custom integration. It's not particularly expensive, but also they had so many issues with that plugin, what it was doing previously, but they thought that was it. They thought that was the only solution, right? You know, oh, it, this client, in fact, was on Magento previously, and they had a Magento Brightpearl kind of integration. And it was, they're saying it's like the bane of their life because the agency was playing the plugin and, you know, and ultimately when you go to this composable architecture, the agency or your in-house team, it's all on them, right? Because they're looking after all this infrastructure rather than, you know, you could have something on Shopify with 20 plugins. Who's looking after each one of those 20 plugins, right? Like, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, James. <laughs> Probably not very well. But, um, but yeah, I think in terms of operational impacts, hopefully, you know, the idea is that it should be sympathetic and empathetic to how you work 
um, rather than being something that is, you know, disruptive and is, you know, disjointed to kind of what you're doing. It should be working for you. That's the whole point of it. If it's not doing that, it needs to be questioned why, you know, why that kind of decision is kind of being made. Yeah, I, I, it does answer. I guess it's, there's no easy answer because until you know what your full tech stack is around ahead of setup, it's hard to articulate exactly what's changing on a day to day basis. But I think what I find when I've had a few clients say, "Oh, we want to go headless," comes back to our point earlier, which is headless isn't a goal. <laughs> it's it, you get to that after you understand the business need and work out whether architecture that's the right solution to give the business in the cost effective way. But I find a lot of the time it is, it is really just trying to sit them down and say, okay, so you're used to doing everything in one way. You're wanting to open this up and you're wanting to have a completely different way of working from like a content production and delivery and publishing point of view. Therefore, you've got to have a process. I think often people underestimate their need to refine and review process internally to work effectively with new tooling. So I think that it's trying to get half the battles getting people to realise that the tooling itself doesn't solve everything you sometimes actually have to fix a few processes internally as well yeah i think also that it should always be an iterative process right you know i think any kind of big bang is never a good thing right um whenever we're moving a large client you know to to a kind of headless environment we'll try and keep almost everything we can the same because once we're headless then we can kind of said right split test everything we're doing and kind of just make sure that every change that we're making is kind of making a, you know, meaningful kind of difference to them, but it just, you just mitigate risk more than anything. Right. <laughs> like the idea, again, when we talk about like, re, you know, changing your site every three years, or whatever, Oh my God, the risk is absolutely would petrify me. But like, if my clients said that, right, here we go. We're just going to switch it this day. What's for a completely different experience. That's absolutely bizarre. You know, especially when you're talking about an e-commerce website, but yeah. Right. Um, that bright PowerPoint you meant, uh, uh, mentioned earlier as well. I've had that with like every client that uses bright Pearl, um, where they're using one, like the native Shopify connector or their own Shopify connector or just a random plugin and they've like written off bright Pearl. Um, and then they've gone on to rebuild the integration or a different connector and that it solved half their problems. But yeah, it's funny that one, how often that comes up. Um, so next question. So we talked about the kind of operational impacts of headless for an e-com team. Um, given the fact that you're headless only, or as far as I know, headless only, um, have you kind of done anything internally to reduce the overhead around ongoing development for these kind of headless stacks? So I think one of the other um arguments against headless is often the additional cost for kind of ongoing new feature development so say i don't know like a notify me when back in stock um maybe that might you know cost more money as a result of needing to do development on both sides and testing on both sides etc um so is that something that you've kind of uh been able to address on your side yeah i mean, again come back to like the whole goal and that's like solving business problems right and and if it's prohibitively expensive or, you know, is unjustifiably expensive, it's for me, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, right? Part of us moving from, you know, that move from SPAs, you know, single page apps to kind of multi-page apps um, is actually to kind of improve, like, we looked at the value that was actually delivering, you know, in terms of actual conversions. And that wasn't what the win was in terms of uh, headless, right? Or composable architecture. And so we kind of go, well, an MPA is more robust you know, um, quicker to kind of iterate on, quicker, it's you know, uh, integrations with third parties. So, 
one one of the things we're doing is like I said, migrating our clients from like SPAs to MPAs and looking at to kind of bring down cost. Other thing we're doing is actually we've built we built up a um a kind of a services team who are purely working on reusable kind of components. Um, so we can kind of use those across multiple clients. Um, and again, with the micro front end, the idea is that you can actually have, you know, here are five clients all with the same version of, you know, search. That search might just be the logic and the presentation of it can be separated or it can be included. So, yeah, we're trying and we're doing a number of things to kind of like bring those costs down. I mean, we're at the point now where we're looking at for a new build sub 150K, which is pretty, like, we're pretty happy with that kind of getting to that kind of point because I think in terms of, you know, that's where it kind of comes to the point where it's not uh, enormously different from, an, uh, you know, from for a new build for, you know, like a, a more kind of traditional kind of site. Um, and yeah, and in terms of, I said, like keeping those ongoing costs down, I said, we're, we've looked at our architecture and made changes to kind of reduce the cost for like additional features, plus I said, standardizing, uh, kind of core kind of like uh, components that can be used across clients um, but still have a unique look and feel interesting and i've got a um i've got a final question um just a bit bit of devil's devil's advocating for helping people to to approach decision making a bit smarter because you've gone through this on so many different projects and i think i think sometimes businesses can be given a bit of a bum steer on the full implication of of a systems architecture changed on terms of things like, like cost and ways of working. Have you got a, what advice? I know you'll have not, not have you got, but what is your best advice? If a business is thinking of going down this route, what should they focus on? What are the best questions they should be asking to help them really understand what impact it's going to have on their business if they suddenly go into a full headless architecture? Yeah, I mean, I think we've touched on a few of these things, right? Like, and I think James, like, you know, we kind of mentioned that ultimately it's not headless is, should never be the destination like it doesn't make any sense it might be you know so i say that's where you start right you kind of start and kind of go well, what are we actually trying to achieve what's our north star what's our goals and not from a technical standpoint in terms of as a business right if that means we want more agility or or you know want faster you know time to market features that's when you kind of go okay well how is headless or composable you know architecture kind of actually solving this problem I'd also say, like, in terms of headless, like, I think there needs to be a bit of an acknowledgement that every, most businesses are composable to an extent, right? Most of them will kind of, you know, Clavio, whatever, kind of like uh, having, you know, parts or Golia, and, and they already have got some sort of composable architecture there. It's just that most of it can be coupled to, you know, Magento or, or, or Shopify, something like that. So I think the biggest question you need to ask is what are actually your business goals? The tech is literally meant to be, you know, helping you kind of kind of get there. And then, you, you know, the agency you're working with should obviously give you a full idea in terms of like um, ongoing costs as well. Like one thing that's sometimes overlooked is, you know, you're paying one price for something like a uh, Shopify, you might have plugins and stuff like this. But when you're moving to, uh, you know, a headless or a composed kind of like environment where you have CMS costs, you know, uh, or digital experience kind of platforms, um, you know, all these different kind of platforms, there will be potentially like a, a larger kind of monthly cost, plus you've got hosting, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. So I think getting a sense of um, monthly costs is really important as well. Um, and finally, I'd be like, don't, I'd be really resident to, resident to say, do a big kind of sweeping change. 
the idea of like a composable architecture is that it's things that you can kind of break up and you break those things up when you have that business need. As I said, when you need more advanced search, that's when you bring in something out like Algolia. You know, when you need, you know, you know, better digital asset management, you might go to like Cloudinary or something. You make those decisions at the right time. Headless is just part of that. You're kind of going, okay, when is the right time that we need to break out of what's happening here to create an experience that is not possible or, you know, that kind of like pushes us forward. So um, I would say really question it, though definitely don't go with the hype um, and look at the kind of the business solutions that you're trying to solve rather than uh, looking at headless as a, as a destination and never have a big bang, break it up into like kind of um, yeah. chunks. I think that's very smart advice. And it's, I, I guess, I guess sometimes, unfortunately, businesses need a big bang because they've got the dependencies of, of, of lots of old systems and unpicking those to put one new one in, uh, it gets quite challenging. Sometimes ripping everything out and replacing it can be the the most cost effective, even if though it's painful with a big initial <laughs> like earthquake to the business. But yeah, I think I think in general you always look at minimising the complexity when you're when you're changing over. So that makes sense. Um, Jim, thanks for uh, for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed that. Ah, oh, it's great to see you both. Yeah, no, it's, uh, thank you so much for inviting me on. Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and if anyone, if anyone wants to reach out, they want to find out a bit more, or they want to grill you on a particular element, or you know, challenge you or anything, or ask questions about how you could help. Like, how do they get in touch? Yeah, well, uh, obviously, just go to studiorotate.com and you can send any inquiries there. But also, if you just want to hunt me down and send me um, hate mail on uh, LinkedIn, that's also welcome. I'm just uh, yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, Jake Yotatas also on LinkedIn. So yeah, yeah, obviously, like always, keen to speak to people who want to talk about this stuff and uh yeah love the debate yeah i think it's good because what what's nice is is hearing somebody be honest and, and talk about like you know headless isn't the um headless isn't the goal and i think there's too much noise in the industry where people try and push headless as this panacea and there are there are times as you said when it's just not the right solution it adds unnecessary complexity but actually there are times when it will unpick business inefficiency and give people the tooling to help them grow in a more effective way and and you need to decide which on which side of the fence you're at and at what point you tip towards needing a more flexible stack so i appreciate the objective viewpoint today um and thanks everyone for listening as well we hope you found that interest i know that's quite a technical one do reach out to jim if you've got any questions or give me and paul a shout as well feel free to challenge us if you agree disagree with anything you've heard today and keep an ear out for next episode we drop one every tuesday do subscribe if you haven't already, and we'd love a rating on Apple, YouTube, or Spotify. Until next week, everybody. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.